Welcome back to South African Border Wars with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 21, the Battle for Bridge 14 Part 2, and the trials and tribulations of a new outfit called Battle Group Orange. When we left off last episode, Commandant Kreis's men of Foxbat had succeeded in driving Fapla and their Cuban allies back from the important bridge over the Inhia River, south of Katofe. What happened now was a debate about whether or not the South Africans should follow up their success, with Kreis preferring to wait. In the action, which took place between the 9th and 12th of December, more than 400 Fapla and Cubans had died, four South Africans had been killed, while dozens more were wounded, along with UNITA, which had lost dozens in the fighting too. The exact number of casualties has been disputed by both the MPLA and the SADF, but it's clear from subsequent evidence and reports by journalists that the forces opposing the SADF had been defeated in what was an important strategic engagement. But it also showed the SADF that much of the equipment was out of date and something needed to be done. The battle for this bridge and the region 250 kilometers southeast of Luanda was not over. Back at Sella, the SADF 101 Task Force HQ had received the good news that finally the bridge was held and the motorized units were moving north. Colonel Swat wanted to push his Eland 90s further into the attack and follow up their success, but Commandant Kreis was given orders to halt further offensives. Morale had improved following Battle Group Fox Bat's success in overcoming an extremely powerful artillery-backed Fapla force at Bridge 14, clouded a little by Commandant Kreis and Colonel Swat's disagreement. The commanding officer Kreis was firm, but Swat was of the opinion it was a perfect moment to annihilate Fapla in the region north of the bridge for once and for all. Swat, though, had forgotten three main problems. First, the geography north of the bridge favoured the defenders. Second, they had to mop up the region in the immediate vicinity of the bridge, as there were signs that not all Fapla had been defeated. The third challenge was ammunition and logistic support. It so happened that an ammunition shortage had developed, and the Elans and the artillery were told to go slow. Battle Group Foxbat ground to a halt. Swat's position was moot at this point. Battle Group Bravo was not faring much better. They had taken the Condi route to the east and ran into Fapla reinforcements. Meanwhile, the sappers continued reinforcing Bridge 14, and Captain Pitt Ace moved from the north of the bridge to just south of the Nhia River and set up an observation post on Ubamba Mountain, or Top Hat, and Kwipuko, or Big Bang. The South Africans were now also picking up prisoners of war that had been scattered by the overwhelming victory on the 12th, while at the same time, the first SADF prisoners of war were put on display by the MPLA in Luanda. They were Corporal J.G. Tablanche, Monteur R. Wilson, R.H. Vihan and G. Danny, who were captured driving a support vehicle near the bridge in the early part of the battle. These four were paraded in front of international media a few days after the battle for Bridge 14, a matter of embarrassment for the South African government, which had continued to maintain there were no troops in Angola other than technical advisers. Remember, South African newspaper editors had received an off-the-record briefing on the 1st of December about the real situation. Now, two weeks later, all South Africans knew the truth. The SADF was deep inside Angola, and they were being taken prisoner. This was not what the National Party's propaganda machine had anticipated. Back at Bridge 14, the artillery units of Commandant van der Westhuizen deployed in an area giving them better control over much of the ground around the bridge and the approach roads. While all of this was good news, there was not such great news from a newly formed battle group called Orange. It was led by Commandant APR Carstens and made up of a UNITA infantry battalion along with the South African Infantry Company, an armoured car squadron and an artillery section. 
Its task was to watch over the northern marches of Unita Territory by sweeping around to the west and then linking up with Task Force Zulu around Kwebala. Orange drove into one problem after another. The main problem was that the MPLA had destroyed all the bridges on the road north to the capital. Carsten spent much of his time in early December driving from one smashed concrete structure to another in what was extremely frustrating and time-wasting. Each time he moved, MPLA's armoring Fapla, along with Cuban support, were monitoring his meandering. Carstens had left Silverporter on the 8th of December and passed through Masende, his intention to attack Fapla at Malanje, but he only got as far as the Kwanza River, which was Unita's northern border. The massive Salazar Bridge had been blown. This left no option but to return to Masende and then head westwards towards the coast or to Kabala from another direction. By 15th December, he'd reached the Unita Hill town of Kariango, where his men would receive a rude awakening. They'd fought many small battles until they arrived at the Pombuish River, but were now going to face a far more serious enemy threat. Battle Group Orange radioed a message back to Sela. It had stopped at the now-defunct bridge over the Pombuish River and estimated that the sappers would take at least three days to rebuild a temporary structure. That bridge was only 25 kilometers from Kubala, so near and yet so far. Orange began to dig in along the south of the river with the anti-aircraft guns placed alongside the artillery. Behind these guns, the armoured cars took up positions ensuring they were on higher ground that offered some protection from possible Fapla attacks from the north. On the evening of 17th December 1975, Battle Group Orange began trying to rebuild the destroyed bridge, a difficult challenge as Fapla immediately opened fire with accurate mortars. The UNITA battalion was huddled in fairly deep trenches, but their morale began to suffer. It was only the arrival the next morning of Major Jack Bosch, who took over the artillery, that injected some positive vibes into a threatening moment. The situation became static. Orange was dug in on the south and Fapla on the north. At dawn on the 18th of December, they opened fire on UNITA's trenches with 82mm mortars, then targeted the South African positions with 122mm rockets. The big problem for the SADF was they didn't know where the Fapla artillery was. Fapla then mobilized its air recon, which was a twin-engine civilian plane that roared down over South Africa's positions with the doors open, allowing a soldier on board to open fire at times from the passenger compartment and try as they might. The SADF anti-aircraft battery could not take it out. Later that morning, a large cargo plane could be seen descending to land to the north, and at first, the South Africans thought it was one of their own, but it wasn't. It was an MPLA twin-engine transporter, and by the time the infantry and artillery realized what was going on, it had landed delivering Fapla ammunition and other crucial supplies. By midday, Battle Group Orange was in for another nasty surprise. Three T-34 tanks supported by a battalion of infantry approached the damaged bridge and began firing on UNITA trenches. The airline armoured cars fired back, concentrating on the T-34s, and eventually one blew up. It had received a direct hit in its ammunition on board. The other two reversed and disappeared. At the same time, no work could take place on the bridge, which was supposed to be ready in a day or so. When Carstens radioed for an update from the men at the bridge, he was told that UNITA troops had retreated from their trenches. The artillery barrage had been so accurate. That night, Fapla towed their stricken tank away, but a checkmate situation had developed between Fapla and the SADF. Neither side could land a final blow on the other, it appeared. On the 19th of December, Fapla opened fire again at dawn with the 82mm mortars, as well as medium artillery and 122mm rockets. 
It was becoming extremely frustrating for Battlegroup Orange because they still did not know where Fapla's guns were based. Five of the South African Elans had also broken down over the last 48 hours and parts were slow to arrive. Senior officers back at Sela thought it was time to pay a visit. On Saturday the 20th of December, 2nd Military Area Brigadier Potkita arrived along with Brigadier Skuman and Major Lombard. Potkita was always a man of forethought and had brought along an extremely powerful telescope which was hurried to the South African Observation Post alongside the artillery position. The Papla Barrage was almost unrelenting at this stage and continued through the day. Still, the SADF spotters could not locate their positions and there had also been a few run-ins with small patrols bumping into Cuban soldiers and Fapla. Everyone was jumpy. The cat-and-mouse game continued for days until the 23rd of December when the SADF radar unit arrived and installed around 6 kilometers from the destroyed bridge. But Fapla suddenly switched its artillery barrage to the radar installation and peppered it with 122mm rockets. Fortunately for the South Africans, these rockets missed. In the meantime, infantry firefights continued as UNITA and the SA infantry opened up on Fapla positions who responded with heavy small arms fire of their own. It was becoming more tense by the hour. Neither side was prepared to retreat. Both the SADF and Fapla artillery kept up their sporadic bombardments of each other throughout the day. By early evening, Fapla's firing had slowed and SADF troops took the opportunity to emerge from their trenches. That was a big mistake. Fapla obviously had a fantastic observation post because they suddenly let rip with a 20-round salvo of 122mm rockets which landed amongst the SA infantry. Privates Tennyson and Muller of 14 Felt Regiment were killed instantly and five others were wounded. Two more were so shell-shocked they had to be evacuated along with the casualties. Overnight, Commandant Carsten reassessed his artillery position and decided to move his guns and was trying to decide where they should end up. He sent out a number of patrols to recon the lie of the land and one ran slap-bang into Cubans. One of these men pulled out a hand grenade but proceeded to blow himself up. The Cuban fuse was set too short. As you can hear, this battle was very personal. If the SADF sat here much longer, they would lose more men to the highly accurate Fapla and Cuban artillery. But it was also clear that the Cubans and Fapla were not willing to try and outflank the South Africans or attack them directly, and neither was Battlegroup Orange because they lacked firepower and men. They couldn't keep shooting at each other forever with artillery. One side had to try and take the initiative. Commandant Carstens then began to think about retreating. Artillery barrages were being exchanged and small patrols were being sent out by both sides as their respective commanders pondered what to do next. One of the SADF patrols approached what looked like an abandoned enemy trench on the north side of the river and were lucky they found a map of the terrain with some notes about installations, still nothing about Fapla Artillery's position. The next day was Christmas 1975. The SADF largely ceased fire and held celebrations. Fapla continued firing and one of their positions was spotted. The observation posts picked up that a battery of 6.75mm cannon had been placed northwest of the damaged bridge, but despite attempts, the South Africans failed to hit this. A short while later, another Fapla recon plane flew low over the South Africans' positions, but their anti-aircraft guns again missed the fast-moving aircraft. Things quietened down at times. It was Christmas Day, after all, and from time to time, the men of Orange could actually hear a battle underway in the direction of Foxbat fighting in the central Angolan front 50 kilometers away. Christmas Day 1975 was not a good one for Lieutenant K. Barker, who was on patrol to the south of the river. 
For some reason, he became detached from his patrol and was lost in the bush. Eventually, he managed to emerge near the town of Kalata on the road to Gungo when his luck ran out. He stepped on a South African landmine he himself had laid only a few days before and was seriously wounded and then Kazabacked. Christmas Day was also the day that Papla figured out eventually how many South Africans faced them across the Pombuish River. They clearly had an excellent observation capacity, as I said. The fighting was desultory overnight, but Boxing Day would change everything. Early on the 26th of December, it became clear to Battle Group Orange that they were no longer able to defend their position, let alone attack. At 10 that morning, small groups of Fapla troops could be seen southeast of the SADF positions. There were also Cuban troops moving with these Angolans, and as the recon unit radioed what they saw, communication was broken off with the terse, The Cubans are too close to talk. An Ilan squadron under Lieutenant Pete Penter was sent out to find out what was going on, and he spotted Cubans close to the SADF Land Rover near that observation post. He opened fire and they melted away into the bush. Then he spotted Fapla platoons behind him, around a kilometre away, who seemed to be digging shallow trenches. Fenter ordered two armoured cars to attack, and as they rushed towards the Fapla units, they were hit by an RPG and machine gun fire. The men jumped out of the two Elans that were damaged and managed to make it to the safety of some bushes, despite the attention of the Fapla troops. Fenter opened fire again on the attackers with his Elan gun, and Fapla shooting halted. He then made a momentous decision to move his squadron quickly. Seconds after they moved off, an entire salvo of 122mm rockets flattened the felt where they had been parked, followed up by a dozen heavy artillery shells. Papla's artillery continued firing on the SADF main position near the bridge. Later that afternoon, the SADF infantry patrols were hit by smoke bombs, which seemed an odd tactic. However, moments later the reason became clear. A MiG fighter jet roared overhead, letting off a number of rockets at the SA infantry, but they missed. The South Africans still could not see where the enemy artillery was based, but they knew that the Fapla 122mm rocket launchers were well out of range of their own artillery. How frustrating. It was not a good position to be in. In more than a week of artillery duels and patrols in the bush, they still had no idea where the enemy had dug in their guns. Unless they could pick these off, there was no way any direct assault could begin. Worse for the South Africans, the enemy began to tighten their noose on their position. They had set up an ambush on the road to the south near Kalango, and the Fapla troops were heavily armed with anti-tank guns, machine guns, and snipers. Captain Lombard's squadron of Elans drove straight into this ambush. One was hit by an RPG, seriously wounding its commander, Corporal A.P. Hasbrook, in the shoulder. The UNITA support company was pinned down behind the armoured cars and they lay in the bush there until nightfall, unable to move. Then there was some good news. Fenter's Elan squadron happened upon a Cuban special forces soldier and took him prisoner. He would be used later in a prisoner of war swap for the SADF POWs held by the MPLA. The fractured nature of this battle was beginning to turn into an anarchic situation, particularly for the South Africans. Major Bosch, back at HQ, sent out new orders to the battle group. We are cut off from B Echelon, he wrote. Front and rear platoons of infantry are pinned down. Higher powers have decided we should conduct a controlled withdrawal. During the night, bring your sections out of the battle and form up on the road. This was not going to be easy. For one, the infantry unit was still pinned down within 100 metres of Farpla and there was a missing platoon of South Africans. That night, a recce Lieutenant Pike found both 
and they withdrew without a shot being fired, but the Elan squadron had taken a battering. Yes, they managed to recover their damaged Elans, but that was a small victory in what was turning into a crisis. Lieutenant Kutsia and Corporal A.P. Hasbrook were both in a critical condition. Another four were lightly wounded in that ambush. They had also lost a Land Rover at the observation post, and two Irland armoured cars were damaged, although both could actually be driven. 300 United troops were missing. Only 15 were found wandering down the road to Masende the next day. As the SADF withdrew, they had another shock. They were attacked by a Russian helicopter, which fired at their vehicles with its 37mm rockets. It missed, but it was the first time that the South Africans had come across such an advanced chopper capability. By December 27th, Battle Group Orange had made it to Masende and relative safety. They set up camp five kilometres south of the town and took stock. Slowly, United troops that had gone missing began to arrive. The SADF licked its wounds, and by New Year's Eve, Wednesday 31st December, Commandant Carstens of Battle Group Orange sent a message to HQ. Time to meditate. Everyone is waiting nervously. Happy New Year to all. It was also time to leave Angola, but evacuating would not be a simple matter of just heading south. The MPLA forces were taking control of parts of the west of the country and beginning to attempt flanking maneuvers, so Orange would have to continue fighting alongside other SADF battle groups to ensure the roads stayed open. A bitter moment awaited the South Africans despite their victories over the past months. The final days of Operation Savannah would be tempered by something called a day of disaster, the 4th of January 1976, when they lost a Puma helicopter and two of their battle groups with the unfortunate accurate names of Chicken and Turkey were caught in a major Fapla ambush and took many casualties. But that's for next episode. We must halt now and secure the perimeter. If you'd like to contact me, there's my Twitter account at Des Latham or through the website abwarpodcast.com. Look for the email link there. Please rate the podcast on your favorite platform it helps raise the visibility of this strange story. Until next week, goodbye.